that's the there's an island there. The, the Deaf and Dumb is in here. It's an Avon Road here. Right, and, and Screen Road is here. Do you know where it is, Frank? I know where we are now. Well, between Screen Road and the junction there, and there's all bushes along here and tall trees on both sides. Mm -hmm. But on this side here, there's a gap in the trees, and they have a tent, as far as I know, and they got mattresses and blankets from us. So um, you might drop up. Who are they family? It's just after nine o'clock on a cold night in late November. In a house in Harcourt Street, a group of people are gathering for the nightly soup run, which is organised by the Simon community in Dublin. These are the part-time volunteers or co-workers with Simon. One of them, his name is Liam, is describing the whereabouts of some people who have been found skippering on the Navin Road. Skippering is a term used among vagrants. It means sleeping out. A woman there. Now, we don't know whether they're married or not, but there's a man and a woman and possibly two more. It depends on the night. Mm. The city is divided into sections of the soup run, and teams of three or four drive or walk around their own section, bringing soup and sandwiches to those people who are outside the perimeter of normal, acceptable society. We travel in a car with a man named Frank O'Leary, who is also the Simon administrator, and two girls, Isabel and Mary. Our first call will be to a man who lives in a condemned house in the Grange Gorman district. As we drive across the city, Frank explains the circumstances. Wife Mary are there alone for years. Uh, both have drinking problems. Mary is in hospital at the moment. So Paddy will be alone next week. Does he, does he get a visit every night? Yes, every night, yeah. And he welcomes it. He's usually in a very good and happy mood and sings for us and um, praises the Simon visitors very highly. Uh, occasionally he's uh, a bit depressed. He gets pains, he has pains in his bones and he worries a little about it and uh, thinks that he'll probably finish up in St. Brendan's. How did Simon discover them? We discovered them through meeting Mary out on the streets. Actually down there just at, at Biddy Mulligan's uh, at night. In a pretty drunk condition, we used to bring her home. You know, I brought her home several times at one or two in the morning and we'd just drop her in. We'd open the front door and let her in. I never knew what the house was like inside or anything. Um, then gradually, when we got to know her better, we persuaded her to stay at home and that we would visit her there. And that has worked out pretty well now for about a year and a half. The room which Paddy and his wife share has two beds, a table, some chairs and a gas cooker. There's definitely no hot and cold running water, but there's a tap and a toilet shared with the other residents in a non-lit yard at the back of the building. The soup runners bandaged the man's leg. He still has difficulty in walking since he was knocked down by a car some years ago. And the girls ask him about his birth certificate and his marriage lines so they can apply for an old age pension for him. Simon workers usually try to advise the people they meet on matters of social welfare. Once the official business is over and Paddy's had some soup and sandwiches, he talks about old times and even sings a song or two. Oh, my father's papers came from Virginia, the Brady of Virginia in the county channel. And my grandmother came from Tala. She was one of the candidates of Tala. And she could remember the rising of Tala. As a girl of 12 years of age, she was only 104 years of age when she died. And she remembered that? What? 
She remembered that. She remembered that, but her sleeve was gone. She was only a small little woman. She's only two, two teeth in the her head. <laughs> she was the kindest person. She'd shared a cup of tea with you, didn't she, would? She thought that she loved her. They loved her. They loved her. She raised seven sons, one daughter. Her daughter was only 96 when she died. <laughs> and the six sons would drink powder. How was that, boys? Uncle Dan McCann. Uncle Dan McCann. Why will you? Yes, I will. I've just seen me Uncle Dan McCann. It's a big bit of a Galway man. Oh, he landed in the USA in the year of 61. He was stupid and limber in every joint, and he wasn't afraid of the bayonet fight. He kind of belonged to the 69th. Me uncle Dan McCann, me uncle was a mighty man in exile to say. Oh, he swam the river lippy twice a day. He could run around the Phoenix Park. And he could sing and dance just like a lark. And he wasn't afraid to go home in the dark. Me uncle Dan McCann. <laughs> oh, he searched his country high and low. <laughs> Where he went to, I don't know. I've searched this country high and low. And back to Galway, I can't go without me Uncle Dan. <laughs> we drive on to the North Circular Road, where a man named John Stephen has built himself a makeshift home out of timber boxes, right on the pavement where the traffic drives past. For some time, the Simon community have tried to persuade him to live in a corporation flat or a chalet, but so far, John hasn't moved, except a couple of yards along the pavement. Generally speaking, he's, he's, he's genial enough, a little bit suspicious of, uh, say, he told the guards one time that we were trying to poison him. Uh, he refers to us as the chicken soup people. <laughs> Um, generally speaking, I find him uh, get on okay with him, you know. He, um, he, he doesn't have much to say or in, in any ordinary conversation. He remembers um, last year, I happened to get him 50 cigarettes for Christmas, and he still remembers it, you know. He's looking forward to Christmas ever since, you know. Even at Easter, he talks about Christmas again. We're, we're going through the city centre now, we're just almost in O'Connell Street. Yeah. Do people sleep out around this area? They do, yeah. You meet casuals, wanderers who have no regular place to stay. They wander around O'Connell Street and sleep in some of the doors of the bigger shops. And uh, a group of the soap runners do that, of course. They walk around here or, or come on a bike. You know, the car isn't so suitable for this. So the, the cars do the, the, the um, way out people out on the suburbs and then uh, they walk around places like this in Kevin Street where people stay in cars and a few more places that we know. How long have you been here John? How long have you been living 11, here on? I'm 11, uh, uh, three years you know, altogether. I was inside and was up to the barracks. Uh, I'm two years was in there and I'm 11 months here. I was down at Lowry's to see and they shift, I had to shift up gradually up to here. 
And how long did it take you to move all all your belongings up the road? Well, it took me uh, it took me the uh, eleven months on and off. Took up the caravan, little by little. caravan on and off, gradually, and I had a caravan here. You're not worried at all sleeping like this beside the, well, the I, road. I do be a little worried, but I like it. I like the way I am because it's happy. It's not too well off, but I expect uh, everybody I can admire. Did the guards ever bother you? Well, sometimes they do. They do. They do want to uh, shift me, but I. Uh, I just tell them that uh, I have to wait on the corporation to do some little way for me. Even as only wooden hills I'd like. And one two rooms until, until I get fixed up and near the Christmas anyway. That's I'd be satisfied way. But that's what you'd like eventually, would you? Have you found that? In the end that's what you'd like to do. You'd like to be I'd like to be the way I am and happy to guide others, not to go astray, again each other. I say, I said in peace stage, 39, and uh, I long to see my wife till, uh, till she comes back. I long to see my wife coming home soon. On these late-night journeys, the supranas visit the city hospitals, especially those on accident duty. At the Mater, we find a man who normally sleeps in the Simon Night Shelter on Sarsfield Quay. He's been in a violent argument, and he's lying on a stretcher with a nasty gash on his head. But he wants to go back to the Simon house, so Frank makes a phone call to find out if there's a bed for him. Hello. Hello, Frank O'Leary here. I'm ringing from the matter. Uh, there's one of your fellows up here. Mm. Uh, is his bed available for him if we take him down? All beds are gone. There's no bed available now. Yeah, so... Yeah. So the man stays in the hospital, and the soprunas move across the road to the Garda station at Mount Joy. In the cells there are two women vagrants, but they're asleep, so the soprunas don't waken them. It's now after midnight. It's very cold with a freezing fog. We drive to the Navin Road in search of the people we've been told are skippering behind a hedge. There's a gap in the hedge along the main road, and after a certain amount of stumbling in the darkness among the trees, we come upon a tent improvised from plastic and pieces of cardboard. Hello? Would you like a cup of soup? You're from Simon. Like? Yeah. Hello, where are you? I don't know. Oh, there you are. What? I don't know where I'm sure if you were there or not. We're from Simon. The Simon community. Uh, we're from the Simon community. Are you? Yeah. Would you like something to eat? Some soup? Yeah. Some young soup? Yeah. We have, have some sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. You there, Mary? Yeah. Are there one or two of you? Anybody else? John. Oh, John is there. Maybe he's gone. Pardon? He may be gone, I don't know. Is it, is it just the two of you staying here? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, it's just two. Now, John must be gone. What's your own name? 
John too. You're another I'm John. Another John. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Would you like if we call every night, John? Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think it's snoring in Who's there. That one? Not the dog. No, I'm sure I heard a person mm -hmm. snoring. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think your friend too. is in there. Mm. He's snoring. Would you ask him if he likes some soup? What? One answer was to sleep. <laughs> well, for him. The right place to be, isn't it? At this time of night. Oh. Have you a good snooze from some? This is a fairly cosy little tent you have, isn't it? And the ground is wet. If I can get a mattress, I'll be able to. Oh, yeah, good. Not. A bit of lino or something. Would lino be helpful to you? No. On the ground. You want a mattress? Yeah, we'll manage that for you all right, yeah. Would you want two of them? No, one. We've got one. Yeah. Oh, I see. Do you want another mattress? Mm. Yeah. No, we'll manage that Same okay. as Brazil and one, anyhow. Yeah. That's fine. We'll try and send it out tomorrow night. Right. Anything else you want, John? No. No, that's What no. about clothes? How are you for clothes? Oh, some for blankets, oh yeah. yeah. Some blankets. You take blankets, yeah. What no. about your own clothes? They're not so good. <laughs> They're not so good, yeah. yeah. Soup and sandwiches are left with the men sleeping in the tent, and we drive back towards the North Keys and Smithfield, that great cobblestone square filled with old cars, trucks and juggernaut lorries. Smithfield has always been a traditional sleeping-out area. We find them generally in abandoned cars, old vans, people just abandoned here, and the uh, wreckers come along and pull them to bits and sell them for scrap metal. But in the meantime, um, people sleep on them occasionally, no, uh, far more rarely than we used to find them. We've, I've met as many as 20 people here in Smithfield Markets uh, about four years ago, but um, at present very few and rather rarely. met one last week, for example, he was in a, an old van and was very cold and was simply delighted with the soup he got. Just have a look at this one here. I don't know how they exist. This, uh, you know, it's, it's foggy tonight and quite cold. What, we, what, what, what we call winos mainly sleeping out in these vans? Yes, uh, they are. Yeah, you would say that. Generally speaking, they are. Uh, this man last week now was um, had been in the Morning Star, but uh, had a tip with somebody, probably the authorities, I don't know, uh, and he uh, was out for the night. I asked him why he didn't go down to the Simon house and uh, he said he was comfortable where he was and he stayed on, but yet he was cold really. Uh, we had a good long chat for a while and he was glad of the company, stayed with him for about a half an hour. I'd say it's extremely cold in this weather, sleeping in a deserted van. It must be, it's, it's damp and foggy and the fog is always very cold and damp, you know, it seems to... But, uh, you know, if they don't... They don't go by our standards. These things, I would be dead. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't last one night in these places. You know, there are some who, those who are out. I, I know two people who are out every night for four years, and uh, they've never had a cold. 
In fact, uh, one of them, we'll be meeting her later, um, we asked her, did she ever get the flu? And she said, um, uh, never. And she began to describe it. She said, people tell me you get all hot and cold and, and, and that you sweat a lot. And that's as much. She knew the theory of the flu, but had no idea of uh, what it was. She's never experienced it, obviously. It's so long ago that she can't remember. I know for four years, and in that time, she has not laid down at any time that I know of, at least certainly not at night. Um, how she manages to keep going, I don't know. She spends her day walking. She goes, loves the seaside right out at Sunny Mount every day, except there's a, a gale force wind or <coughs> terrific rain or something, but almost every day she seems to go to Sunny Mount and spends her day there on the beach and uh, has a routine visiting churches, has friends where she gets cups of tea and sees um, television, her favourite programmes, the Reardons. She knows the Reardons, the personalities in the Reardons, as, uh, as if she knew them personally, you know, and uh, um, off stage. Um, and other programmes she likes to. Um, she um, has a very regular routine. She has her, um, she gets her breakfast there in the hospital in the morning. Then her favourite churches, where she rests as much as uh, as anything else during the morning, and then does her her visits uh, to Sunnymount in the afternoon. And uh, on the return journey, she gets her um, cup of tea and her trip to her friends where she sees the TV and arrives back here punctually at a quarter to one in the morning. Does she sleep on this windowsill in all weathers? In all weathers, she's just, that's her, her bed, just sitting on the windowsill, cramped with her property around her feet to keep her warm and her property is all contained in six plastic bags, you know, these, these little shopping bags that you pick up and uh, everything is in this, and these are carried around all day, and they must be quite heavy, they, at least they look quite bulky. She carries them all everywhere with her the whole day, and uh, they're placed around her feet at night to keep her, keep the, the breeze off. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite enough now, just the usual, you know what I mean? You can take that last now, because the students last time, we had to drop a bit, but for someone it was there overnight, you know? And uh, I put it up there, so not to yeah. forget. Yeah, it's terrible night tonight, but uh, managed to get along just the same. Out of the cold, out of the uh, darkness, you know. Mm -hmm. There's no lights in the shops in Cape Street, only just the lights in the street here and there, you know. Mm -hmm. Places in black darkness. It's terrible tonight. It's tonight. Then early in the night then, uh, it went off for such a long time. I couldn't say the lady said it was off for a long time, she had the lamp lighting. And then the light came on then, later on the night, about nine, half eight or four to nine. Every evening goes on. <laughs> oh, screams of it. Yes, every evening, quarter to six to eight, could switch it off, quick as it flies. In the church. Which church? Uh, um, Haddington Road. Oh, I don't know. Same one every evening, yeah. Yeah. Screaming. Were you out in Sandymount today? I was, Mrs. Quite was it nice? Today. It was nice, all right. Yeah. yeah. They make new path now. New path on the pavement. Yeah. Footpath. Where the water lodges. You see that going by? Yeah. Off the footpath. The, the 
footpath the slope, you know, yeah. from the edge of the curb, mm -hmm. slope down to the edge of the, the bottom of the wall, sea wall. So mm. the water lodge is there in two places. Terrible lot of rain, as a matter of fact, heavy rain, you know. Mm. Or maybe the tide comes in overnight and wash over the wall. Yeah. It's, it does begin sometimes, you know. Did you go to see them at Marion today? I did. Did you? Yeah, I did. did, did. The uh, painted puce paint, the walls <laughs> painted puce paint. <laughs> That's so. <laughs> the paint, you seen the paint in there, the colour of puce. Around two o'clock in the morning, the soup run ends, where it began, at the Simon House in Harcourt Street. Most of the soup runners from the other areas of the city have returned by now, and each group writes a report on the people met and their condition and their needs. The workers and co-workers in Simon realise that the soup run is probably the only side of Simon the public knows about. It's the romantic side, of course, typified by unselfish volunteers searching the streets of the city late at night for the outcast, those who exist from day to day, rootless and without hope. But in reality, the Supron is just the first tier in the Simon structure, which is built up of a night shelter for people who might otherwise sleep rough, a house for those trying to come to grips with drinking problems, and a group of residential houses, a therapeutic community, in which residents and workers share in the organisation. Simon was started in London ten years ago by a man named Anton Wallach Clifford. He was a probation officer who one day decided to hang up his bowler hat and umbrella and forsake his comfortable middle-class world for the world of the undesirable, the world of the unwanted. Simon was to be an experiment in caring for the socially inadequate. Wallach Clifford had seen enough of the problems of the social outcast and the down-and-out to realise that even the welfare state was unable to remove that basic feeling of rejection. The Simon community would give such people not just a temporary DOS house, but a home. It would welcome the forgotten remnants of humanity, the alcoholic, the drug addict, the former prisoner, the wino, the meths drinker, the mentally disturbed and the homeless. It was a decision that was to change Anton Wallach Clifford's life. He named his community after Simon the Cyrenian, the man who helped Christ carry his cross. And he drew many followers to him, like Sally Trench, who wrote a book about her experiences called, appropriately, Bury Me in My Boots. And the community spawned many similar organisations. Just over four years ago, Wally Clifford came to Ireland and he found that our problems, though on a smaller scale, were just as pressing and as frightening. The Simon community began in Dublin with tentative soup runs and later found premises in which to accommodate some of the down-and-outs the soup runners had come across. In the beginning, it was a no-man's land of drifters and dossers from whom society had turned away in exasperation, disgust, or even perhaps in fear. The atmosphere was one of frequent violence, as it still is today. The violence to which Simon workers are subjected. That incident happened at a Simon night shelter where down and outs come in search of a bed and where, unlike the regimented hostels, there is no charge and no questions asked. 
The night shelter is the first tier in the Simon residential system, and although no alcohol is allowed, a dosser can arrive after a night's drinking. A certain courage is demanded of the workers at Simon. They eat, live and sleep with people who for years have been unaccustomed to what we call normal society. The philosophy of Simon is to share in these people's lives and to face up to the moments of violence. Dermot McMahon, the national coordinator of Simon. Uh, the violence that you experienced last night is um, a part of Simon life. It's, it's not a significant part of it, I think. It's just part of it. Um, it's a very sad situation. Um, it's a very difficult situation to cope with. But I, I think the answer really is uh, to um, find some kind of balance within oneself so that one is not overwhelmed by the violence. Um, one is very frightened by the noise and the swearing and the, the tremendous tension and that kind of thing. But if, if one can find some inner, inner balance within oneself um, and and hold on and not let go. The violence which one finds at this particular level in Simon is more pronounced in Dublin than in the other Simon centres around the country. As full-time worker Olga Cox told us when we went to one of the Simon houses in Cork. Here the crowd is much smaller. The facilities are better in the sense the kitchen is bigger. In Dublin you have a small kitchen, people a good deal more drunk and therefore violence is bound to break out at least twice during a single night. Normally the people here are sober, quiet kind of people, people who seem to have been coming in for a long, long time that know the run of the place, sit down in their corner and eat their food. And the same people will go on with a little bit of aggro early in the night, but it's something that's uh, expected and you just cope with it in, in the course of the evening. Well, does this have an influence now on the workers? For instance, would this encourage the workers to stay longer with the community? Yeah, I would say in the sense that uh, physically it lasts a good deal longer in Cork. I get that impression anyway. Wear and tear is less. Oh, much less. I, of course, I'm only here a week, but it seems to be very, very much less. You get your sleep at night, um, and during the day it's reasonably quiet. You have time to, to think, to prepare, to know what's happening. In Dublin, you're pretty continually under pressure and sleep is broken, if not non-existent. Each Simon Centre is autonomous. The centres adapt themselves to local conditions, though all of them in Cork, Limerick, Dundalk, Belfast are grouped under the national umbrella of Simon Ireland. Even the type of people who come to the houses can differ from centre to centre. Quite a lot of young people seem to be here. And in a sense, it might be a more hopeful community insofar as that they're young and therefore they will get jobs from time to time. Some of them who come in at night have in fact started jobs and will hopefully be looking for other accommodation fairly soon. Whereas in Dublin, with a much older group of much older people, um, a lot of them are at the end of the road and they're going to be coming in here till they die. What do you find the main problems with the, the people who come, the residents in, in Simon and Cork? If they're not alcoholics, as they are mainly in Dublin, what are their problems? Um, well, from the ones I've talked to, uh, the general problem is sort of some a, a lack of home background. Wherever they started, some of them are institutional reared, you know, born in, in or left in orphanages anyway. Others that marriages have broken up early, and homelessness and the lack of being able to cope with this—that they're just lost for a place to be. 
Each house has its full-time workers and its part-time or co-workers. The full-time workers agree to stay with Simon for periods of from three to six months. The rules for the residents vary from centre to centre. For example, in Cork, no drink is allowed, married couples can stay but not sleep together, and very troublesome people may be barred from, for periods ranging from two days to an indefinite time. Cork has a residential house and a night shelter. Robert, the house leader at the night shelter, who gets paid £3.50 and pence a week by Simon, has problems in finding full-time workers. Most of the workers... Since uh, the beginning of the year, I've been from outside Cork. One worker in particular was here from March to uh, April or May or so. And uh, he's the only one we've had for all year round from Cork. Uh, we've applied in local papers for full-time workers. And uh, we got a couple of uh, answers, but mostly from females who were too young or who only wanted to work on a part-time basis. Uh, full-time workers we find in Cork are very hard to get. But you do you do need them. You're looking for them and you can't get them. What, what's, what's the reason? Do you think? Uh, we just we just don't know. I think it's maybe a recruitment campaign. You know, we have a sort of a national campaign that works through du- Dublin, same in Ireland, and um, we have a sort of a recruitment campaign down here. We're, we're applying the paper every now and again. You know, but. I don't know if it's our warden or whether it's just Cork, but they don't seem to come, you know. Another worker with Simon is Dasuno Crohur. Despite his name, he came from Glasgow to work in Cork. Um, the question to why people come is frequently, I think, a result of um, dissatisfaction with the um, institutional way and means of helping various sections of society. Uh, you have hospitals which develop from the poor law system and these do with a large proportion of people who are in need. Um, there is, after all, the, um, the hospitals have um, covered their people. There's still a, a largest number of people who are not covered and these are people who might have um, some form of restriction within society that's not normally recognised, um, particularly that there's maybe the sort of person who's shy um, or who's drunk so is not normally tolerated or um, something of this nature and um, people, n- normally people who work in Simon have a feeling that something should be done about this and they join Simon to actually do something Limerick Simon differs in structure from the other Simon centres Anton Wallach Clifford's visit to Limerick early in 1969 stimulated local interest at this time, the facilities for homeless people in the local county home were about to be closed down, so the city manager made a premises available through the social service centre to the Simon community. The premises were once the longest bar in Ireland. Two separate hostels, one for men, the other for women, are now operated for the Simon community and the local authority by the social service centre. Another point of difference is that there are no full-time workers, although since last February two Alexian brothers have been working there in the hostels. Young volunteers help to operate the hostels from 7 in the evening until just after 9 o'clock in the morning. What relationship exists in Limerick between the workers and those using the hostels? Joe Revel of the Limerick Social Centre. The relationship can be described as a very friendly one. And it's particularly appreciated by the men who use the hostel. Uh, 
because uh, the three concepts of the Simon Group of volunteers were to provide food, shelter, and companionship for the men in the hostel. Now, the companionship has spilled over to what the men appreciate very much, a recognition of all these men anywhere they're met in the city by the volunteers. Uh, this is a continuation of what the volunteers are attempting to do in the hostel and is uh, most sincerely appreciated by the men that they're recognised as people. Father Donald Giltonen is the director of the Limerick Social Service Council. What does he consider are the basic problems of the people who are using the Simon Hostels in Limerick? I think that probably the basic problem, if we have to look at one basic problem, I think it's a, a combination of a whole lot of factors that have made men like this vagrant. Lack of roots, lack of a feeling of being needed by other people. Every one of us have this need to be needed. And because of, maybe it might be a psychiatric problem, maybe it might be because there were sexual deviants, maybe it might be a whole range of things uh, that they never felt in their lives, this, uh, that never, this need to be needed was never met in their lives. Why then do you think they have come to Simon? They have come to Simon, I'd say, very simply, and without it being a short answer, they have nowhere else to go. Within the next two years, Limerick is planning to build a new hostel, with a workshop included as part of the effort at rehabilitation. But how far have they been successful in their efforts up to now at helping people return to a normal life? After four years... The only success we have achieved is the fact that the hostel will be open tonight, nearly four years from its opening night. Lack of facilities so far have precluded much, if any, degree of rehabilitation with any of the men down there in the present hostel. And even with a new hostel in two years' time and with a closed workshop, we're realistic enough to appreciate that it will be a very small percentage of the men, given that they're the same type of men as we have tonight, with whom any degree, and a stressed degree, of rehabilitation may be attempted. One of the difficulties of establishing what is called the first tier of the Simon structure is finding a location for a night shelter, with a constant coming and going of down-and-outs and the occasional outbreaks of violence. It's not unexpected that people living nearby may object. Has this been the experience in Limerick, Father Donald Giltonen? I think that there may be a minority attitude, and it wouldn't be a strong feeling. I think uh, I would hate to put it as a strong feeling that, uh, especially in the early days, that Simon Hostel would attract to Limerick a group of people who could be awkward, who could be obstreperous, who could, might be hard to handle. Going side by side with that, I think that there is the basic fear within every man that a thing like a Simon Hostel coming into their area is going to depreciate the value of the property in that area. In Limerick, I don't know whether we are unique in this or not, but I would say that we have been very fortunate in uh, having a hostel in an area where it was totally accepted in that area and in that neighbourhood. This aspect, perhaps, is one of the reasons why Simon has not really established itself in Waterford City. Dermot McMahon, the national coordinator, tries to analyse this failure. I would think myself that it was left up to a very small number of people to try to cope with with a particular problem down there. And the local people didn't seem to give them the support necessary. Um, you see, one needs uh, different types of support when one is doing this kind of work. 
practical support in terms of money and houses and that kind of thing, but also um, moral support. Now, it would seem to me that the people in, in Waterford didn't really support the small number of workers there from the moral point of view, uh, give them this moral support, which is very necessary to uh, to cope with this very difficult problem of uh, uh, social deprivation. If Waterford has not been successful for the time being, Dundalk, on the other hand, has been added to the number of Simon centres in Ireland. Dundalk Simon began with soup runs and visits to vagrants in the county home. In June of this year, premises were found for a centre and the centre is now open from 6 until 10 each evening. Because of the lack of sleeping accommodation, the person who comes to Simon in Dundalk is usually a vagrant. Where do they come from? Dolores Whelan, who helped to establish Simon in Dundalk. Well, there are a few of them who are from around Dundalk, and when I say around Dundalk, I mean counties Louth and Monaghan, maybe. Many of them, a few of them are from the north. We have two or three from Galway, um, Galway Mayo area, and um, they, they generally come from all around, but mostly around you know, Dundalk, Monaghan, and they tend to wander a lot. They don't come here every day. They, they only come here two days a week and they go off for a few days. Are they all rootless, homeless people such as found in the other Simon centres? Um, mostly. And I say this mostly because um, there are some of the people who I haven't had an awful lot of personal contact with myself. Um, most of them have families, you know, but they choose not to stay with them. You know, or, I mean, they may have, like, Tommy has a family in, over in Mayo, but... Um, most of them are have been on the DOS. As yet, there are no full-time workers in Dundalk and the co-workers are drawn from a cross-section of people, young and middle-aged. They're about to lose their small premises, but they are hoping to find another house. They want to expand, they want to provide sleeping accommodation, but there is the fear of local opposition. Further north, in Belfast, the Simon community resembles the Dublin community more closely. It has a night shelter in the city and a residential house on the Antrim Road. One of the Belfast workers is Fred Williams. He compares the Belfast operation with Dublin's. Well, yes, naturally there would be a difference between the two cities because of the troubles in Belfast. But basically, as far as Simon's concerned, there is no difference in uh, basic philosophy. Um, The running of the houses, naturally, again, there is a difference. Uh, The basic thing about what Simon starts off with soup runs and night shelters Um, the soup run is very hard to run in Belfast we had one last year going at night but it was unsuccessful we only found about one or two people if we were lucky each night Does this mean that even people who would want to sleep out or would have to sleep out finding it difficult to do so? It's very hard to, s- to say. We get very st- varied stories about this. Um, some people say there's 30 people sleeping out. Other people say there's none. Uh, to find if, out if there is anybody sleeping out ourselves, it's too risky for us to go into areas, the probably ghetto areas, where if we went in, we'd be only asking for trouble. Um, but even talking to, you know, winos, there does seem to be a lot of doubt in their mind whether there is anybody sleeping out. But the the basic difference between the two houses, what would it be between Belfast and Dublin? Uh, I would say basically st- structure. It's it's you know each each Simon finds its own way of operating. 
you know, I'm sure over the between, you know, Limerick, Cork, Dublin, there is that difference already noticeable. And of course Belfast has its own identity. It's it, it's it, it it plays along with its environment. Um the way the, the, the comparing say what we have in four eighty one Antrim Road, this is the long term house. Comparing that with uh, say Northumberland Square project, um it's basically the same. We were trying to operate it on a a group basis, getting the residents more involved in the running of the house, um, participating uh, in the cleaning, and as much policy making as possible. Uh, we haven't got the extent that Dublin have of their democratic means. Uh, we, we we're varying on this. What we're trying to operate is actually getting the residents and workers to come to a consensus. We don't use the the Dublin democratic means. We also haven't got a psychologist coming in, like Dublin have, um, but we do have professional social workers dropping in occasionally to us. In Belfast, too, there's a need for workers, not so much because of the troubled situation in the city as through lack of public knowledge. Yet across the political divide, both sides give their support in the true spirit of Simon, caring for people as people. The Dublin psychologist mentioned by Fred Williams is Ian Hart, he has worked with Simon since its beginnings in Dublin. He soon found he wasn't dealing with the usual middle-class problems. He was now in a new and remote area. You know, I, I must say that at the beginning, like, I had in mind the traditional psychiatric classification, depressive, schizophrenic, manic-depressive, neurotic, whatever. I had this in mind when I came to the situation, but as time went on, uh, I found rapidly that I, could, I couldn't retain this neat textbook classificatory system. And I found any... Ta- I, 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 very, I very often, I very quickly found that the only, the only way I could um, get useful insights about these people was by abandoning my professional defences. Uh, I, I speedily, speedily learned this through the therapeutic groups which I conducted with um, some of these residents, I found that uh, they would very quickly attack me if I started using jargon, and I very rapidly had to start using (laughs) four-letter words, although not quite four-letter words that one thinks of when one hears four-letter words. I very rapidly found I had to... um, concentrate on them very much as distinct from concentrating on on, on the um, desirability of fitting them into some kind of psychological model. In his work among the residents of Simon, Ian Hart found that many of them had personality problems in addition to their social handicaps. This has become more evident now that for when for certain groups of them the the problem of homelessness has been overcome now that Simon has provided them with a permanent home and a permanent base, uh, their personality problems come much more to the fore. Um, one way in which this has become evident is the way in which some residents are seem to be quite difficult to live with. They seem very demanding and uh, they keep on demanding things. Now, I would I would call this a personality problem, this is not the same thing as saying that that person is to blame for that particular personality trait, because unfortunately, the, um, 
people generally think when you say that a person has a personality problem that, that, that you are saying that that person is to blame. I am not saying this. I'm saying that as a result of, uh, a very of very often a very deprived child background situation when they, when they were young, uh, they often experience a great deal of hardship, a great lack of love, a great lack of intelligent discipline, and so on, that they are now left with pretty big personality problems. Yet the work in rehabilitation among the residents of Simon is showing results. This year, the Simon community in Dublin established a residential therapeutic community in ten small houses which have been given to them on a temporary basis in Northumberland Square. One of the residents there is a man named Paddy. His life today is very different from the life he led when he first came in contact with Simon four years ago. Well, that time I didn't care because I was, you know, when I get drunk on this round... You've got to be drunk more or less all the time to live it. And where you can throw yourself down anywhere and sleep. Because if you're quite sober and trying to sleep and worry about everything, it's an impossible thing to sleep. So generally the people who find themselves on the road, they require a drink. And uh, just to face life, you know, because people don't give us a chance. If you're dirty and scruffy, you won't be accepted anywhere. And it's very difficult... When you're sleeping now, people say, get to work, get work. But only when getting out of a car at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning cannot work because there's nothing to eat, they haven't got a proper sleep or anything like that. But one wonders about the Simon workers themselves. Why do they undertake this difficult work? So difficult that, at the most, they can stay only six months in a Simon house. Tom McPhail has just spent six months as a full-time worker with the community. On the day before he left, he told us how Simon had changed his attitude towards life. I found that when I did come in, initially I was very angry and bitter at society for the conditions that these people had to live under and had to face. But unfortunately, this anger see, seems to dissipate, you know, in the face of the, the, the vastness of the problem. And you do become totally immersed in the day-to-day -day living and the dealing with the problem end rather than with the symptoms. And, you know, you're not going beyond the problem end and trying to establish why these people are in fact living here. After four years, Simon is still evolving. At his annual general meeting recently, the ultimate aim was seen as the creation of a caring community, with society as a whole helping to bear the burden now being carried by this small group. But even within Simon, one finds varying views as to its future. Robert, the house leader in Cork. There will always be a need for it, but... Um it will change too, it'll change maybe, yeah, well from my point of view it'll change to the worst because um, it'll become an organisation and uh, um, the people involved in Simon with, as an organisation will be um, more or less for the work and for the money. That's Uno Crohur, Cork Simon. Well, uh, ideally Simon shouldn't need to exist. Um, that's why we're in Simon. Maybe one of the biggest works of Simon is to try and change public opinion. Joe Moran, Dublin Simon. Get some of these people together, like-minded people together, some of these people, and they can live in a community set up for this um, type of thing. Uh, you can have full-time workers and these people together, and um, it could be uh, arranged to have a, possibly a farmer. Uh, even in the city centre, a, a small community. Joe Revel, Limerick Simon. 
There were 45 men such as we have tonight in Limerick in 1900. There will be 45 men just the same as them in the year 2001. Fred Williams, Belfast Simon. The workers, I think, are a prime necessary necessity because at the moment we only have four workers and four workers spread over two houses. It can be quite a strain and at the moment they're all feeling this strain. Uh, but hopefully soon we will get somebody in. Dolores Whelan, Dundalk Simon. There's one ton I know for a fact, and what I should imagine, which would possibly have a big need for Simon, is Galway, for example, which has a population something very similar to Dundalk. It may be bigger now, but certainly, I mean, Galway is, is a city that, you know, I should imagine, I'm speaking off the cuff now, needs a Simon community. On the door of a Simon house in Cork are written the words, Simple Simon lives here. This expresses the basic simplicity of the Simon attitude towards the people whom society has rejected. The work of Simon may sometimes appear thankless to those involved, yet every now and then there's a response that helps them go forward, like the poem a Simon resident wrote. It reads like this. Your words are like steps, your encouragement is like help. So you build the steps and I will climb them. Someday we'll be together in the house of love. Have you seen the old man outside the closed-down market Kicking up papers with old worn-out shoes In his eyes you'll see no pride and I do be a little worried, but I like it. I like the way I am, because it's happy. It's not too well off, but I expect to... Everybody I can admire. How can you say that is your Simon? Simon community. <laughs> We're from the Simon community. Are you? Yeah. Would you like something to eat? Some soup? Yeah. Some young soup. Yeah. And have some sandwiches. Yeah. She's got no time for talking. She just keeps right on walking. How can you say that you're Hello. Hello, Frank O'Leary here. I'm ringing from the matter. Uh, there's one of your fellows up here. Uh, is his bed available for him if we take him down? Let me take you by the hand I'll lead you through the streets of London I'll show you something to make you change your mind 